to Philippians. We will have an abbreviated message this morning for those of you who are sweating. <laughs> Pastor Dave talks for an hour. We're never going to see the end of the football game. The Niners and Raiders are out anyway, so it doesn't matter anyway, man. God, we love Jesus more, right? Amen. We're fanatics for Jesus, right? All right. Well, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to give you an overview of the entire book as I do every time we start a new book. We finished Ephesians last week. We saw Paul's letter in his heart written to the church in Ephesus, the church that he had founded. First three chapters, he talked about doctrine, what they should believe, their riches in Christ. And then he talked about how they should behave, how they respond to the riches that they have in the Lord. Well, this morning, we're going to begin to look at another of Paul's epistles. And though it's written about the same time with, under similar circumstances to a group of believers within the first century church, this letter is very different in that its focus is really on one word mainly. And the word is joy. This is a gospel or a, an epistle of joy. Now, that sounds wonderful. And again, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. But what's incredible about this letter, this letter of encouragement, this letter of exhortation, this letter of great joy is that it's written from prison. Paul is sitting in a prison cell Paul's life is about to be put in jeopardy. He's about to stand before Caesar Nero, a really uh, a tyrant of a man who might be taking his life. Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem earlier. He spent two years under uh, arrest in Caesarea. He then appealed to Caesar. They brought him to Rome. On his way to Rome, talk about divine appointments, the ship he was on wrecked, which put him on the island of Malta, and there he planted a church. you got to love Paul. Because wherever Paul goes, I've, you've heard me say it many times, one of two things happens. There's either a revival or a riot, and often there's both. And God wanted to reach the people of Malta, so he just had the ship get wrecked. And Paul understood the sovereignty of God, and he trusted in God, and he knew that even if I'm in prison, it's because that's where God wants me to be. And if I'm in prison, praise God for it. And so now he's in Roman prison. And what I love about this is to watch him, though he's, quote, under house arrest, they would chain him up to a different guard, four guards a day, each in a six-hour shift. Now, Paul loved this because he said, divine appointment, amen? He didn't say, I'm chained up to some smelly Roman guard. What he said was, opportunity for the gospel, and this guy can't go anywhere, amen? I got a captive audience. And so he preached the truth, and we know from God's word that many of these Roman soldiers of the house of Caesar got saved. These were his elite Roman soldiers, over 10,000 of them, and many of them got saved. Well, while Paul was in prison, something else happened. They beat him, and they, they had, had him imprisoned. This actually happened in Philippi. And now this point, as he's come to the prison he's in now, he's awaiting this time to go before Caesar. And as he's about to go before Caesar, he knows his life could end at any moment, and now he's writing a letter to the Philippian church. Now, what relationship did he have with Philippi? In Philippi, he had gone there, and that was the first church that was planted in all of Europe. It was when he received a, received a Macedonian call during his second missionary journey. He ends up in Philippi, and he gets there, and there's no synagogue, which means there weren't even ten Jewish men who believed. At least there weren't enough that they did what they were supposed to do, which have a synagogue. So he goes out to the river and ministers to these women. And these women get saved. 
One of them was a woman by the name of Lydia, if you remember that story, the maker of purple, right? Well, she was a very wealthy woman. So these women start getting saved. Well, the men, the Jewish men, now that the women are getting saved, giving their life to Christ, didn't like that. So they come out and they protest. And they grab a hold of Paul and Silas and they have them beaten and they have them imprisoned. And so they're thrown in prison, beaten. And so what what do Paul and Silas start to do? They're in prison. They've been beaten. They're in Philippi, the city. They have a worship service. They start worshiping the Lord in prison. And you guys know the story from Acts. As they began to worship the Lord, what happened? There was an earthquake. And the earthquake rattled so much that the jail broke open. And the Philippian jeweler, the, the jailer, he wakes up and you know he's knocked over by this earthquake and he thinks that the prisoners have escaped and in those days if you're the jailer and the prisoners escape you have to pay their punishment so he's in big trouble and he picks up his sword and he's about to kill himself when Paul says to him from the cell don't kill yourself we're still here we haven't left God's in control. They don't have to wait for the doors to open just for God to tell them when it's time to leave. Amen? And so what happens now is the Philippian jailer says to them, what must I do to be saved? And they share with him the gospel. He gets saved. His whole house gets saved. And you have the beginning of the Philippian church. Now, that's the church. That's the place he had been. Now he's in prison in Rome. Man, every, you know, every time he talks about the Philippians, he's either in prison there or he's in prison somewhere else. But he writes this letter back to the Philippians, and as he writes this letter back to them, this letter, 19 times in this, this epistle, he uses the word joy. Now, if I was in prison, I would hope I could write a letter filled with joy. But I have an idea, it might be a letter filled with murmuring. I'm serving God, and look at this, and I don't believe it, and why am I in prison, and people who aren't walking with God are riding their chariots down the street, you know? And here I am stuck in prison. But you know what? I praise God that the Apostle Paul is an example for us in living a life with an eternal focus, not a temporal one. Amen? Not being focused on the cares of this life, the things that are passing away, but having an eternal passion, an eternal focus. So we're going to see how we can have joy in this life, and that example is going to come from the Apostle Paul in this letter that he writes to the, the people in Philippi. Again, a place where he had been beaten, a place where he had been jailed, a place where he had been attacked, and he writes to them with great joy. Now, the reason he's writing this letter is that while he's imprisoned in Rome, the Philippians get together and they send Paul an offering. They send it by the, man, by the name of a man of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is bringing this offering to care for Paul. And he receives this offering. Epaphroditus almost dies. He spends some time there with Paul. Paul nurses him to health. And then he sends him back to Philippi with this letter in his hand. He says, go back to my brothers in, in Philippi. And I want you to bless them. And I want you to tell them about the source of my joy. I want you to encourage them and strengthen them in their walk with the Lord. So here's the overview of Philippians, briefly, and then we'll begin to look at chapter 1, which we won't finish this morning, okay? All right. So, Philippians, it's all about joy. The Word of God tells us very clearly, these things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. In Psalms it says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Galatians 5.22 it says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. Yet many Christians walk around today looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. (laughs) Amen? And as Christians, that should not be so. As Christians, hey, I'm going to heaven, how about you, amen? And shouldn't that bring great joy to our hearts? Sometimes people say that to me, Pastor Dave, every time I talk to you, you're happy. It has to be not true sometimes. You know what? Happiness is based on temporal things. Joy is based on eternal things, amen? While our circumstances can change, our relationship with God never will. He's a faithful God and a loving God and a merciful God. So many Christians have been robbed of their joy. What has robbed them? We're going to look at four things as we go through the four chapters over the next several weeks. We're going to see, first of all, the first thing that can rob you of your joy, we'll see it in the second half of chapter one next week, is our circumstances. Guys, if you're waiting for your circumstances to be perfect, to be happy, you'll never be perfect. You'll never be happy. Amen? Well, as soon as I get this, as soon as that happens... As soon as my kids, as soon as I get married, as soon as I get a job, as soon as I get this, as soon as I get the promotion, whenever I get the house, if we can just remodel, if I can just get the car I wanted, as soon as the... It'll never end, amen? And your circumstances, if that's your source of joy, you will never have it. You will never truly be happy. We'll talk about how we have joy in spite of our circumstances. We'll see that in chapter 1. The way we do that is by being single-minded. When you set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth, your circumstances won't have any impact on your joy. Amen? Because your joy will be based on where you stand with the Lord. The second thing that can rob you of your joy is people. We'll see that in chapter 2. Amen? Some of you have been robbed of joy because of people, and some of you have robbed others of joy because of who you are. Amen? Amen. I've been guilty of that of you. And so we're going to see that all of us have lost our joy at times because of the actions of others, things they've said, things they've done. But the Bible tells us we're to be salt to the earth and light of the world, and sometimes our salt does lose flavor. How do we have joy and continuous blessings, even when when others mistreat us? We'll see that in chapter 2. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to see how to have joy in spite of our lack of possessions, things, or position. This is an incredible thief to joy, you guys. The pursuit of worldly possessions, things, and position. Isn't that how we define success today? The more stuff you have, the higher title by your name, the more letters after your name, those are the things that determine you as being successful. But in the kingdom of God, it means nothing. All we're doing is shoveling dirt down here, amen? You might have a bigger pile of dirt than somebody else, but in heaven, it's all just going to be dirt, amen? And so often, I got gold dirt, I got bronze dirt. Who cares? It's all dirt and it won't matter in eternity. And we need to learn to have joy in spite of our lack of position, our lack of possessions, or in spite of the abundance of possessions that can take our eyes off of Jesus. Amen? And we'll see that when we get to chapter 3. And then lastly, and by the way, if you have treasures that can be lost, you're in trouble. Ask, ask somebody who invested in the stock market five, four or five years ago. Amen? If you invest in things that can be lost, they're not safe, they won't last, and most of all, they'll never satisfy. And then lastly, the thing that can rob us of our joy, and this is a huge thing, we'll see it in chapter 4, is worry. This is one of the greatest thieves of all. 
Worry is the opposite of faith. Did you know that? People get bugged when I say it, but it's true. Worry is sin. Because when I worry, I'm saying God's not in control. When I worry, I'm saying God's not faithful. When I worry, I'm saying that God forgot about me and doesn't know what's going on in my life. Can I tell you that God knows everything about you more than you want Him to know? Amen? And He loves you anyway. He that knows you best loves you most. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen? What a faithful God. So over the next several weeks, I encourage you to keep coming back. We're going to look at this letter of joy, written by a man facing execution who doesn't have worry, isn't worried about his position, doesn't, isn't worried about what people think, and certainly in the midst of his circumstances has great joy. Why? Because he's got Jesus. Amen? And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. So we're going to see those four thieves. Circumstances, people, possessions, and worry. And we'll see those as we move on. Now this morning, as we look at just the first 11 verses, all I want to talk to you about this morning, I want to start talking to you about joy, but I want to talk to you about the joy of fellowship. There's an incredible joy that comes from being in fellowship with other believers. I very rarely meet people that are worried and angry and anxious and bitter who have a lot of godly friends, amen, that are walking in fellowship with other believers. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to isolate us. When I was a youth pastor, I used to use the analogy, and you take all the hot coals, you put them together, they're all on fire, right? You take one coal out and set it by itself, what happens to it? It gets cold and it goes out. And as Christians, too often, we're trying to be the Lone Ranger. We're off trying to live the Christian life all by ourselves. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen? We need to be gathering more and more, not less and less. Not so that, you know, we can fulfill some righteous thing before God and get a brownie point because I went to church on Sunday. Amen? But coming because we love the Lord, we love His people, we want to be fed from His Word, we want to worship Him, we want to use the gifts God's given to us. Amen? We have an impact on eternity. This is what it's all about. And as Christians, we're new creations in Christ. We have a common bond. We're brothers and sisters. We're one in Him. We have a common calling to reach out to a lost and a dying world. And again, the enemy wants nothing more than to divide our marriages, to divide our families, to divide the church through denominations. Guys, let me just tell you right now, we're not about promoting Calvary Chapel. We're about promoting Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what lifeboat you get into as long as you get to shore. And guys, if they're teaching the Word of God, they're not our enemies. They're on our side. Let's be for them, not against them. Amen? Amen. Let's be unified as the body of Christ. That's God's heart. Pray for me. I have such a burden to get to know the pastors in Santa Cruz more. been reaching out. I have a desire to do that. We're co-laborers in the kingdom of God. Amen? And, I, and when I meet people that go to another I say, praise God, as long as it's a place where the Word of God's being taught, amen? Where the Word of God's being taught. So we're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. So this morning, in a message I've entitled, The Joy of Fellowship, Paul is going to tell them three things. I have you on my mind, I have you in my heart, and I have you in my prayers. This is a sign of fellowship. I have you on my mind, I have you in my heart, and I have you in my prayers. Let's begin in verse 1. Looking at Paul's greeting as he writes to the people in Philippi. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was the founder of the church in Philippi. God founded it, but Paul was a tool in his hand. 
And Paul doesn't write, Paul, the founding pastor of the church in Philippi. Paul, the most holy, magnanimous one, and if it wasn't for me, none of you'd be saved. Paul doesn't do that at all, does he? Paul writes this letter much more from a heart of one friend writing to another friend. And he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants. Those of you who have been coming any length of time, you know what a bondservant is? A bondservant, the word is doulos, it's a servant by choice. It's not somebody who's enslaved out of a debt that they owe. It's somebody who's enslaved because they say, I want to be enslaved to you. I freely and willingly give my life to you and I want to serve you with my whole heart. And at those days, they would take it all and drive it through their ear. And that was a constant reminder that person belonged to their master for the rest of their life. Boy, do I want to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. How about you? That was Paul's heart. Bondservant, not apostle even in this case. Though he would use that when he was talking to somebody about doctrinal things to show the authority God had given him. In this case, he's writing from one friend to another. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a slave by choice. Again, these dear friends writing to those who they love very much. Who's he writing to? To all the saints. Again, the youth pastor in me, remember what a saint is? A saint, you're either a saint or an ain't, right? Amen? A saint is not a dead person who did some miracles so some holy man somewhere puts a statue up to him. That's not a saint, amen? A saint is anybody who's born again. So if you're saved, you're a saint. So I'm Saint Dave. Don't be making any medals of me or praying to me. It ain't going to work, amen? And we don't pray to any other saints. We pray to the true and living God alone through the only intercessor, Jesus Christ. But he's writing this to the saints, so he's writing this to the believers. So notice who he has fellowship with. He has fellowship with other believers. The Bible tells us, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, we are to minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. We're to be brokenhearted for the Dalits, brokenhearted for our next door neighbors. We want to see them come to know Christ, but that is not our source of fellowship. It's a source of ministry. Bad company corrupts good morals every single time. Amen? Too often we, we want to become like the world so we can reach the world. Let me give, give me one example of anybody in the Bible who ever did that. What, did Jesus become like the world? Absolutely not. Now, did he reach out to the wine bibbers and the prostitutes? You better believe it. But he reached out to them in love and he never compromised truth. We need to speak the truth in love. This letter is written to the saints, to the born-again believers. Our fellowship is to be with other believers. Now it says there, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. The only way you can be a saint is if you're in Christ Jesus. Amen? You can't be a saint in Buddha. You can't be a saint in Muhammad or any other false religious leader. Because all of them are dead and none of them died on the cross for your sins and none of them created the universe and none of them is God except the true and living God. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're going to be a saint, you better know Christ. Amen? And that's how we become a saint. Set apart once, sanctified in Him. And it says there, in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Now, a bishop, uh, a simple word, really just means overseer. The word is episkopos, where you get the word episcopalian. But it's just an overseer. Now understand in the Bible, bishop, pastor, and elder are all interchangeable. They all describe the same guy. We've messed that up in the church today. The bishops are some guy with a pointy hat and the, right, you know what I mean? 
We got all these titles and things we give to men and they oversee this. And here's the truth. The bishop is what he does. He oversees the people. The elder is who he is. He's a spiritually mature man. And a pastor is how he does it. He shepherds or pastors the flock. So it's all the same man. So he's writing this letter to all the saints, including the pastors or the overseers, and it says there, and the deacons. The word diakonos means servant. These are the waiters of tables. We got a church filled with deacons. And I praise God for you guys. You're faithful to serve the Lord. Where the bishops or the pastors are called by God to oversee the spiritual things, there were those who were called to oversee the practical things, and you got to have both. Amen? If we go down and build someone a house and don't give them the gospel, we've given them a house and they're still going to hell without Jesus. They need Jesus. Amen? But you know what? Often we need to go build them a house that we might build that bridge of hope to them to reach them with the gospel. So we need the practical and the spiritual working together. Amen? You guys come in here two hours before church. There's people in here when the room's a lot colder than it is right now setting up chairs. And God bless them. That's the heart of a servant. So this letter is written to all the saints, those in leadership, in spiritual leadership, those leading by their service and their heart to minister to the people. And he says there in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, grace and peace are like the biblical twins, right? You always see them together and grace is always leading the way. Why is that? Because without grace, we can have no peace. Amen? It's by the grace of God that we can know the peace of God. Without grace, we cannot know the Prince of Peace. Without the Prince of Peace, we would not be able to know the grace of God. So it's through grace that we can experience peace. And it says there, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of our peace is God Himself and the Lord. By the way, Lord Jesus Christ is not His first, last, and middle name. Lord is his title. You can't call him Lord unless you're willing to be his servant. Amen? If he's the Lord, you're the servant. That's how it works. There's only one God and you're not him. Amen? Two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. And so you choose to either serve him or not serve him. And if you serve him, you can call him Lord. He is our Lord. We serve him. Jesus is his name. Jesus, Yahshua, means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. He is our Savior. And Christ is why He came. He's the Messiah who paid the price for our sin. Lord Jesus Christ, the source of our peace. Now watch as Paul writes this letter to these dear friends. Look what he says to them as he says, I have you on my mind. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now again, remember, Paul's trip to Philippi was not a cruise. It was a shipwreck on the way. When he finally got there later, I mean, and and, and when he got to Philippi, when he went to Philippi on the Macedonian call, what happened? They beat him. They threw him in prison. These are not like my fond memories. How about you? I have fond memories when I remember the time I was drugged behind the tractor. You know what I mean? That's That's not a fond memory. But you know why Paul has a fond memory? He's forgotten the beatings and he remembers the fruit, the people who were saved. I have fond memories. I remember the people's lives being changed. I remember, you know, it's kind of like, I thought thought about about a mom with childbirth. There's a little bit of amnesia about the pain that they go through when they get the baby in their hand, amen? If there wasn't, no women at all have one child. 
but there's such a great joy that results. And that was Paul's heart. I, I, when I think of you, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Imagine being the kind of person that has impacted somebody's life that they thank God every time they think of you. How incredible that is. You know, the greatest joy of a parent is children walking in the truth, and the greatest joy of a pastor is his people walking in the truth. I can honestly say this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you guys. You know, each week, if you're not in the bulletin, you've got to get in. The, I mean, the directory, you just got to get in here because I might forget about you otherwise. Hopefully I don't. But you know, every week I go through this thing and I just pray for you guys. I even have a color one. How about that? And I go through this and I pray for you guys. And can I tell you that as I'm praying for you, I'm just thanking God for the work He's doing in your life. Some of you, I get to, and I just start to weep because I think God is so good in what He's doing in your life. You have no idea what a blessing you are to me, but more importantly, what a blessing you are to God when you walk in faithfulness before Him. Paul's heart is, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I got a call this week from a young man who was in my youth group 15 years ago. And he's a worship leader now, and he's got four... I, I thank my God on every remembrance. God is so good. This is Paul's heart. He looks back and sees a church that has loved him enough. They've sent help to him. It's growing. It's thriving. God's doing a work. He's forgotten about the beatings, and he sees only the fruit. This is fellowship. Amen? This is what fellowship does. It brings about great joy in the midst of circumstances. Again, some of you have no idea what a great joy you bring to my heart. And bringing joy to my heart is not the goal. But I just want to encourage you what a blessing you guys are to me. You have no idea. And sometimes it's this, what you may think is the simplest of things. And I think, Lord, if I'm that blessed, how blessed are you? I'm so blessed this, that I hear about things that people do that nobody else knows about. I just God, you're so good. Because that person two years ago, a year ago, didn't even know who you are. And now they're laying down their lives for you in such a simple way. What a joy it brings to the heart of our Savior. It says, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. For Paul, it was a joy to pray for his brothers. This is another thing that fellowship is all about. You know what? Some of you tell me every Sunday, and you can keep telling me because I'm blessed by it. You'll come and say, Pastor Dave, I was praying for you this week. There's nothing better you can do for me than that. You know what, what a blessing, because that's when we have Christ in common. I'm praying for you, you pray for me, let's pray for each other, amen? This is Paul's heart. It's a joy for me to pray for you. It's not drudgery, it's, oh, i got to pray. Man. You know, it's not that. Instead, it's, well, what a joy, what a blessing, what a privilege that I get to go intercede with Almighty God on behalf of those who I love the most. What a joy it is, what a blessing to have that fellowship, that common bond that we have in Christ. You know what, I love to pray for my kids. I love to pray for you. And you know what happens when you pray for people? You start to love them more. It's an absolute fact. Start praying for the person you dislike the most and see what God does. Amen? You start praying for people. You start having a burden for people. You start praying for them by name, and you watch as your heart softens. One of the reasons I run up and hug on you guys, I've been praying for you all week, and I love you more now. <laughs> and it's like a family get-together. When I see you, I want to come up and give you a hug. You have no idea. I may have not seen some of you go away for a week or a month. You're on vacation, and when I, when I see you, I've been praying for you. And I'm blessed to see you. We're a family, amen? 
We have Jesus Christ in common. This is Paul's heart writing from prison to a place where he had been imprisoned because of the love and the joy that they shared in Christ, the common bond they had in him, and the fellowship that they had in the Lord. What a great and awesome thing. You know, from this and other passages, we see that Paul was a great man of prayer. Guess what? There's no wonder why God used him, amen? Very few guys, show me someone in the Bible who God uses who didn't pray much. You want to change, prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes our hearts, amen? You want to get your heart right with God, spend more time on your knees. Spend more time in the presence of the Lord. Verse 5, he says there, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The word there for fellowship is koinonia. And that word means partnership or joint effort. You know what we have in common? A common goal in our burden for the lost. Paul and the Philippians, though, separated by great distance, though Paul is imprisoned, they got one common fellowship. And while Paul's preaching to the guy chained to him, the Philippians are reaching out to the people where they're at. You know, one of the things I love about going to India, I counted it an incredible blessing to get to go every year and to minister to usually hundreds of these guys who are going to go out and plant churches to these unreached people groups. And, I, you know, certainly they think I'm coming to minister to them and they always minister to me way more. Because these are guys who are going to go lay down their life for the Lord. Face persecution we don't even understand. Many of them, very young men, many of them is the age of kids in our youth group. And what blesses me is though I come home, we still have the common bond of fellowship in the gospel. What I love to do when I come back is blow up the pictures of the class and pin it on my wall in the office and pray for them. And, you know, getting letters from them that they're praying for us. And I'll tell you what, we're half a world away, but we're on the same team with the same goal, the same objective, and we're brothers in Christ. Amen? That's the fellowship in the gospel. Having that common bond, that common pursuit, that common desire. You know, so much of the world today says our common bond ought to be a pursuit of money. Hang around people who've got a lot of wealth, you know, because if you want to be, you know, if you want to soar like an eagle, you can't hang out with a bunch of turkeys, right? <laughs> Heard all that stuff. And you know that there's this common bond of pursuit of wealth. You know what? I, I want a common bond and pursuit of Christ, amen? And a pursuit of the gospel and a promotion of his kingdom that he might be glorified. Now look at this next verse. If you haven't memorized it, you should. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what? I, one of the infinite number of things I love about our Savior is he's not like us. We start stuff and we quit, don't we? Unfinished projects, wives are going, amen. <laughs> All over the house. But you know what's so great about God? When he begins a work, he finishes it. And you know what I love about the Lord? He already sees us, sees us finished. He sees us completed. He doesn't see who we are, but who we're going to be in him and the work he's going to do in us. And praise God, he says, I'm praying for you guys and the fellowship of the gospel, knowing the work he's begun in you guys, he's going to be faithful to complete until when? The day when Jesus Christ comes back. That means he's going to continue to work until then, amen? So you're still breathing, God's not done with you yet, amen? God's still working on you, he's still drawing you unto himself, he's still conforming you more and more into his image. 
He's done a good work for us in redemption. He does a good work in us as He sets us apart. And He does a good work through us in using us to serve others. Just a few more verses and then we'll have our time of communion. I have you on my mind, he says, also says, I have you in my heart. Look at verse 7 and 8. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. I have you in my heart. Paul was not only a man of great intellect, and this guy was about as intelligent as they came, but he was also a man with a big heart. And you know what? As Christians, we ought to have big hearts. Amen? We ought to not just rationalize things in our mind, but we ought to allow the Lord to move on our hearts. The Philippian believers were in his heart because they stood with him during his time of greatest persecution. A real close friend of mine is going through a real difficult time right now. He's a pastor and he's having to step away from his church because of some family problems going on. And I felt led to just email him in the middle of the night and I emailed him, and he picked up the phone and called me, and we wept together. And the, and the proverb that God put in my heart is Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother was born for adversity. And you know what? I wrote in the email to him, I'm your friend, I'm your brother, I'm your co-laborer. You know what? As brothers, there's a growth that comes when you go through adversity together. And Paul's saying, you're in my heart because you stood with me when I've been in chains. You stood with me when I was being persecuted and beaten. When when maybe everyone else has forgotten. You have not forgotten. Guys, may we not be fair weather friends. Amen? May we come alongside those who are going through difficulty and hold up their hands. Godly fellowship comforts those in chains. Strengthens those under attack. And partners with those who proclaim the gospel. Verse 8. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Long to be with them. Long for them with godly affection. And what I love about this is to remember that Paul was the Jew of all Jews, and the Philippian church was all Gentiles, for the most part. And Paul said, I long for you. Tear down all the walls the world wants to put up between us, and may we have Christ in common and let that be enough. He maintained a good, loving relationship with each of them. And God's called us not to just preach the word, but to love the people. Amen? Fellowship produces a love. And I see it here every Sunday. God's love in action. Last three verses. I not only have you in my mind and I have you in my heart, but I have you in my prayers. Look what he says. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Paul's prayer that their love would would grow. That they may grow in the knowledge of Him. You know what? Can I tell you something? To know the Lord is to love Him. The better you know Him, the more you're going to love Him. Amen? And people struggle in their walk with the Lord and they say, you know, and they'll say things about God, the character of God. I'll say, you don't know Him. Because if you knew Him, you would not even think that. He's a loving God. His character is far beyond what we can imagine. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. I want to know him better. How about you? And if you get to know him better, you'll fall more in love with him. He says, I want you to grow in that love, and you're going to grow in that love through knowledge of him. Notice he doesn't pray for wealth. He prays for knowledge, a greater understanding of God and his plan, for discernment, the ability to know God's will and right from wrong. It's his heart. Verse 10, 
that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ, that you may approve those things that are godly and holy. You know what, guys? When you fall in love with the Lord, you don't need a bunch of rules to keep you walking in the center of God's will. When you fall in love with the Lord, you want what He wants and it becomes an outpouring of your heart. You know what? If you love God and love people and serve Him with your whole heart, that'll be sufficient. The Holy Spirit, you know, sometimes people think it comes across holier than thou, but there's things that I just don't want to do. Now, it's not because I'm Mr. Goody Two Shoes or whatever. It's because I have no desire for that anymore. Why? Because I love Jesus too much. I don't want to go pay God's money and listen to Him curse His name in a movie. I just can't do it. Some will say, oh, Pastor Dave, that's legalism. No, for me... If I wouldn't go to a movie where they curse my children. I wouldn't go to a movie where they curse my earthly father. Why in the world would I go to a movie where they curse my heavenly father? It hurts me. I don't like it. I get up and leave. I don't want to hear it. There you go again. I know I got to at least be part Italian. Look at my hands. All right. Now, he says there, that you may approve that which is good and holy. And guys, as we fall in love with the Lord, the things that are holy will be the things we want to do, not the things we have to do. Amen? Amen. It'll be a get-to, not a have-to. It'll be a joy. Now notice there he says, sincere. The word there means without wax. What in the world is that? Be without wax and without offense. In those days they built statues. You know, you go back to Israel with us, there's statues everywhere, right? And some of the statue makers would take wax and melt them in where like the nose would chip off on a statue. And the whole statue was ruined. Well, they'd take wax and melt it in and put some of the dust from the marble and then make it look really good. And then you'd go buy the statue and take it home and it would get hot. And the nose would melt off. And you'd be totally bummed. And you know what, guys? When the heat turns up, may we not melt, but may we be sincere. Amen? May we be without wax. May it be who we really are even in the heat of day. Till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Guys, the fruits of righteousness, bearing fruit, is always a result of abiding in Christ. You want to have a fruitful life? Have a life centered in Him. There's no other way. It's not more effort. It's not more trying. It's just more abiding. Amen? It's more drawing yourself into Him. Falling in love with Him. It's intimacy with God that produces a holy life. Not a bunch of rules that I'm trying to keep. I'm really holy now. I have 400 rules. Last year I had 300. I told you about me and that Jewish guy one time and he said, I have 252 rules I must keep. I said, how's that working out for you? I know 10 of them and you're not keeping those. He said, oh, it's very difficult. I said, not difficult. It's impossible. Amen? And we want to set up a bunch of rules and think we're more holy because we're keeping a bunch of rules. Guys, we'll be more holy when we're more in love with Him. We have more intimate fellowship with Him because there'll be a natural outpouring, not me and my efforts trying to keep a bunch of rules that I can't do without Him. Amen? That's abiding in Him. So the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, walking in holiness comes from intimacy with God. Look how this letter has started. We're going to close there, but look how this letter has started. What joy there is from a guy sitting in prison. What an example for us, amen? How many of you have been beaten and cast in prison lately? <laughs> Spent time in prison, beaten, scourged, mocked, no food. 
None of our circumstances are as bad as that. May we have joy when things are tough at work. Amen? May we have joy when things are difficult at home with our kids. May we have joy when the bills are a little difficult right now and our finances are a struggle. May we have joy. May our joy be based on where we stand with the Lord, not on the things going on around us. So the joy of fellowship. I have you on my mind. My thoughts are of you. I have you in my heart as you stand with me in my difficult times. And I have you in my prayers. Guys, I have a desire that we as a church would pray more than we ever have before. Amen? May we pray more. May we pray for each other more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that we receive from it. We thank you for the example of a man sitting in a jail cell with great joy. Lord, I ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to find our joy, to find our peace, not in anything the world has to offer, not in anything that we might lose, but to find it in you. Amen? Lord, I just ask that you bless this time of communion. Father, may it not be something that is common, but Father, may we come before you, looking back to the cross of Christ and that great work that was done for us, looking within and examining our own hearts before you, and then looking forward when we will take the Lord's Supper with you in heaven. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you again for the work of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said... Amen. All right. I know we've gone a little longer than normal, but God's worth it. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to go to a time of communion now here at Calvary Chapel. We need to use the restroom. Go ahead. Hey.